0: We'll send.
1: Totally normal week of uh, NC State Athletics this week here, but we're going to talk about whatever comes up on this episode of The Lotcast here tonight. Trey, Alec, and Asad back with you. Joel, unfortunately, not able to be here tonight. He has a conflict, but he'll be back with us next week, and so we're happy to be joined tonight by a guest. Uh, he is a contributor with Inside Pack Sports and a former Richmond Spiders offensive lineman. Uh, Alex G is with us, and if you recognize that last name he is the uh, brother of former NC State offensive lineman Harrison G and the son of former NC State offensive lineman Mike G so Alex thanks so much for being here we appreciate it
2: guys I'm pumped when when Alec reached out to me on Twitter uh, about a week ago I, I, I don't think it took me about 30 seconds just to say yeah hell yeah I'm coming on man
0: this is great <laughs>
1: So we have an Alec and an Alex. So we how talk. are we going to do this tonight?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Two last names that get pronounced wrong frequently.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, let's let's uh, I guess we should just address the elephant in the room then. Obviously, the, the big news this week with NC State, MJ Morris is going to take his red shirt and supposedly is not leaving the program, but will be taking his red shirt. He is done for the year and it will be Brennan Armstrong starting again Saturday in Winston Salem against the Demon Deacons on the CW where NC State is undefeated. Uh, so that will be a, a nice footnote there but let's just let's get right into it here first of all obviously uh your thoughts on the uh, on the MJ Morris news and situation to
2: this point. Yeah, so you know it's funny ever since IPS has asked me to come on and start doing some uh, it, was, it started with film breakdown. So my guy, Phil Danford, who, who's an awesome Twitter follower, if anybody's uh, is looking for some nerdy stuff, that guy's probably mm-hmm. the smartest football mind I've ever been around. Um, and I, 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 mean that like wholeheartedly uh, he's awesome, yeah. but you know, we, I'm fortunate in, in the position that I've kind of found myself in that you start hearing some stuff a little earlier than, than some folks do. So we started hearing uh, you know, Leading up into the Clemson game and then immediately following the Clemson game that there, there may be some, I don't know if we call it trouble in paradise, but I guess that's what it is. Right. That, that Morris was, you know, thinking about, you know, taking his toys and going home playing elsewhere, um, hanging it up for the year. And, uh, I'd say, you know, I think it kind of started getting out like the Friday before Miami um especially when the line started moving on Saturday morning I don't know if you guys remember that morning on Twitter like mm-hmm. everybody was like, oh yeah, Why yeah. The line yeah. two and a half yeah. points we could move the line two and a half points yeah I uh, was in discussion with
1: somebody and the, and the initial thought that we had was was Peyton Wilson injured that's, was he not going to play and that was yeah. the initial thought for a lot of people
2: yeah so in my opinion that's the only player on NC State's roster besides maybe Concepcion that could move the line that much um I don't mm-hmm. I don't think in I think this week's proof that the the quarterback position wasn't going to swing the line it hadn't swung for wake forest since the announcement um but yeah man so you, you know monday start or really sunday afternoon we started hearing some stuff there's some like savage wolves connections that that the, the websites has has and then monday things got real loud and then yesterday was tuesday was i mean we talked about it before we started started recording man what a <laughs> what a moment in time for NC state social media, dude. It was just, I mean, just wild. And the, the, the takes were flying. Everybody's got something and everybody's got thoughts on it. Um, personally, you know, uh, I've spent a lot of time crunching some tape and, and going over some numbers and I, I, Morris wasn't really moving the needle for me. Um, you know, from a statistic standpoint, he was, you know, like a bottom five quarterback in the country in his three games. And I understand the opponents and, 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 you know, all that matters, but some of the conversations we had was, you know, if, if NC state wants to be the program that, that they desire to be and that we desire them to be, I think you got to put stuff up against those teams, you know? So, uh, I think internally we'd heard that maybe state was going to try to portal a quarterback, regardless of, uh, Morris's decision. And, from what i understand a lot of it was kind of out of out of mj's hands you know ultimately he made the decision but i think he's got a lot of a lot of outside noise in his life that uh was contributing to you know uh, the word handlers is wrong but i think we all kind of understand how that works where you got people in your ear you know hey man you hang it up right now you got 3 years left and there's a lot of NIL money to be made potentially. I I don't know. Um I, I I do not expect him to be at NC State next season. Um I think that would be a really hard sell to the roster and to the staff and to the fans quite frankly. I mean, it's it's remarkable guys. I don't know I don't know how y'all feel about it, but you know, we went to the Duke game and leaving I didn't think we were, I you know, the conversation was can state make a bowl game and let alone, you know, I shockingly they're both eligible for uh, from beating the, in my opinion, the two toughest teams that remained on the schedule at that point, and this has a like this this team has a real chance to be Dave's ten win team, and <laughs> the starting quarterback just said, "I don't want to do it anymore." It's insane.
0: Yeah, it's um so yeah. One thing I didn't want to do was speculate because I don't I don't don't know quite as much about the internals of the situation as maybe you do, but it sounds pretty pretty solid that he's not coming back. I mean, you would think that it, we would have to, right? I mean, it would be so extra bizarre if that happened. Um, it's just so weird. And I will say going forward, I don't think there's anything he did in these three games that Brennan can't do. Um, I liked Morris's prospects as a future quarterback. Uh, I, I think he was pretty poor in the last two games, though. Um, if we're going to continue to win games the way that the way that state has won the last two games, there's nothing that that Brennan can't do. That, that MJ was bringing to the field. Um. So yeah, I would be curious to know. Like, is is this an is this just kind of like a general assumption among everybody that that this means he's transferring, uh, or is there actually some some smoke that he might actually try and stick around? If you know, I feel like that would be a you know a difficult thing to try and fit in, like you were saying, but. Uh, You know, that's both of his parents have said that. So I'm like, I don't really know what to believe at this point with anything like that.
3: I don't think there's any coming back from it. Once you once you make that transition and and it was pretty clear, if you were reading between the lines, that the players themselves after after the Louisville game wanted something to change. And you could see the frustration from the defensive side, how much they were pouring their heart and soul out onto the field. And in the offense just I wasn't being able to produce anything, so it seemed like Dave's hand was forced with needing to make a change, and it was earlier than what he had wanted to do. Um, but it was one of those things where now you you made the transition, the guy you brought in in the transfer portal, now you're asking him to take a back seat, so you're giving MJ the keys and you're saying, okay, you're not just the quarterback of the future, you're right now and for the future, and. He has chosen not to want that. So now the guys Mm -hmm. in the locker room that wanted him to to be the one, wanted him to to be... It seemed pretty clear that that they wanted him uh, to be the, the starting quarterback, and they rallied behind him. Clearly, you could see the spark on the team, the energy on the sidelines and on the field really picked up within the next few games after that. So then after everybody rallies behind you and then you take yourself out of the game, how do you... Then come back later and say, actually, you know what? I'm I'm gonna come back and now now I want to stay here. It's one of those situations where it seems like this is a difference between somebody like Dave Dorn and Deva Sweeney, in my opinion. Because when Kelly Bryant wanted to transfer, he said, "All right, you're done," and he just he just did like that. And he said, "Okay, if you want to transfer, you're off the team. Get out of here." Dave has you know a little bit more of an open mind and he he understands the ideas about culture and not wanting to just kick somebody out the door. So he's allowing him to stay on the scout team. And I think that's probably like a generous move on Dave's part um, to at least allow him to stick around. But I, I don't think you're going to see M- MJ Morris on the field again for the NFC State. Yeah, I
0: mean, the team... Like I mean, it was such a rallying point after things you know went bad offensively, not just necessarily within the program, but outside of it too. I remember the posters on campus. This is <laughs> yeah. something that, like, yeah, oh everybody's yeah. rallying around this guy. You can reuse yeah. him. He's missing again. <laughs> I if you
1: if you go back and listen to the beginning of the Miami game last week, it was either the Miami game last week or, or beginning of the game or when they had that 97 yard touchdown drive. It was the 97 yard touchdown drive actually. If you hmm. go back and listen to the beginning of that drive. You can hear the student section chanting MJ Morris' name.
0: Mm. And what
1: happened? A ninety seven yard touchdown drive. So, I mean, like you said, we're not gonna, you know, dive too deep into the speculation realm of things, but I, I imagine that we won't be hearing the MJ Morris chants again. It's fr- mm-hmm. it, yeah. Not...
0: yeah. It, it's just frustrating
3: that... beca- it's just sorry, it's just frustrating because that drive was his best drive as a quarterback and it really seemed like the pieces were starting to come together and he was getting into a rhythm and that third down play he threw from the end zone. That was one of the best throws he's had, you know, when it really mattered. And to, to basically leave on that high of a note, it's, it's frustrating. So, therein, yeah, so that, they, sorry, Trey, there,
2: sorry, there in lies my frustration with this whole MJ Morris drama. Like I, I don't know why I, I I'm not upset about him leaving personally or if he chooses to do so, I don't want to jump the gun. Like you said, we don't want to speculate, but the fact that the, what we pull out to celebrate is a 15 yard completion. When Casey was three yards open on the seam pass, you know, it's tough. Like that's where our yeah. offense was the past, the past yeah. four weeks is yeah. like, we, you know, we, we, we kind of joked about it um, in, in a text thread that I have with some buddies and we've talked about a podcast, like, you know, we can pull like I, I, like he hit a a glance route on an RPO to Dakari Collins. That was a good throw. It was a good throw. Mm-hmm. But you know it's like Devin Leary did that like five to seven times a game. You know right? Like it, it's you know that's kind of where we were at that point. And you know it was, it was cool in the stadium. You kind of mentioned the the fan reaction like the Louisville game. That was that was and Dave's not been shy about talking about it. That was probably maybe the worst crowd NC State's had in terms of the team was up ten, 10, zip at half on a school that's ranked 11th in the college football player right now and has a chance to be a one, one win ACC champ if they could upset Florida state in a few weeks and they boot him off the field. And then of course, you know, we, you know, we talked about the, the booing of Armstrong and the MJ Morris chance in the stadium and so forth. And then it was, so to me, it was cool that towards the end of that drive um, you know, when Armstrong had a, I believe it was like a you know a fifteen or sixteen yard carry up the left sideline, and then Williams, your boy that you highlighted the can't tackle twenty. You know he had back to back plays, <laughs> yeah. right? He had the, the,
0: the, the horse collar. collar, the horse collar yeah. slam
2: on Armstrong, and then <laughs> and then um the, the the crowd got behind Brennan, and that that right. I was like that is that's we've needed that all season, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Like yeah. that stuff matters. Like players hear that, you know it's it's yeah. important, and you know so. I, I would say that's the the extreme positive I take going forward is that it does seem like the NC State fan base has you know maybe fully come around to you know what this guy's actually like a
1: yeah like and a I think big that
2: big kind of fan. yeah
1: inadvertently became my segue there but uh, I was going <laughs> to ask about about Brennan Armstrong uh, because obviously now he's, he's back in the lineup I have a hypothesis that being on the bench for four games and seeing the offense from a different perspective, and then knowing now that Robert or has started scheming things a little differently, has the personnel he wants to run his offense, I'm expecting a better Brennan Armstrong this go-around. How do you guys feel about that?
0: I think it's, well, one thing I think that's good is he doesn't have anybody pushing him. He doesn't have any, you know, competition is good generally, but there was so much chatter from everyone, from every direction. You know, when is it going to be MJ Morris, you know, when he was in the game? And, you know, there was some, some angst, you know, pretty much anywhere you looked about that and then it boiled over with the Louisville game, right? You know, I think that he sent a message to a lot of people when he went down on the bench, came back in and threw his body around last Saturday and getting yards however he could, as a backup quarterback essentially a wildcat quarterback um so you know i think this galvanizes a lot of people you know is he going to be a better passer i don't know he had a lot of issues uh and a lot of it wasn't wasn't play calling oriented he was just inaccurate on a lot of stuff that was there for him
1: right i'm Um, not discounting that i'm just saying that how
0: that that plays out but you know i think that you know it's about like the mental state of the team like i think this is going to this is gonna be something that galvanized. They're gonna rally around Brennan kind of the same way that we were expecting them to rally around MJ when he took over as the starting quarterback. And I think it has a lot to do with um what you know, what Brennan did on Saturday night.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think it helps to have leaders like Peyton Wilson on the team that could be as vocal as they are to make sure that Aiden White too. Yeah, Aiden White. I mean there, there's there's, there's that was awesome. Yeah. Right. There's there's guys up and down the roster that we'll make sure that they're they're not gonna fall apart. There's been a lot of really like frustrating losses that have happened during the the Dave Dorn tenure and then I and just like being pessimistic state fan, I'll think like, oh, okay, the whole season's gonna go downhill from here. And then surprisingly they'll rally back the very next week and, and win the game. Dave Dorn very rarely loses back to back games, uh, for that reason. And I think this yeah. is another point where You know, he has said he wants them to practice as if it it was a loss. And this is one more thing where it it seems like I wouldn't immediately count them out for especially Wake Forest and Virginia Tech. And obviously Caroline's a different story. But um, the one thing with Armstrong is the two things I'll say. He will need to regularly complete forward passes uh, because that wasn't always the case. Uh, he, He was more prone to just tuck it and run but now with no mj morris safety net as a backup quarterback and i don't know what the status of lex thomas is because i know he was coming off of an injury um i don't know what the backup quarterback situation is we'll see when the depth chart comes out uh or i don't know if it has been already but um he's gonna need to pass more often than, than run and uh he's we're going to see, I think, uh, within the first quarter or so, um, h- how well that plays out.
2: So, you know, what, what's exciting for, for state fans, Brendan Armstrong is the UNC killer. That dude beats <laughs> the hell out of UNC every time they play. So last year, nice. when I mean, UVA was terrible last year. Terrible all around. This Maybe, like, we're going to talk about offensive line play later. That's probably historically the worst offensive line I've ever watched play football. The the, 2000- <laughs> the offense line, they were awful. They still only lost to Carolina by three points. He's seventeen or thirty-five, so not great. But you know, two hundred thirty-two yards passing. We had twelve carries for sixty-four yards and two touchdowns. And had one of my favorite plays I've ever watched—an uh, opposing player have against UNC. It, it was up there. You guys remember the Greg Jones stiff arm for Florida State on the sideline? He, he yeah, took the guys helmet off for UNC. Similar deal. Armstrong on the goal line trucked uh, three Carolina defenders to score. It still was, it was slick. And then in nice. in, in, uh, in twenty twenty-one. Uh, he was 39 for 54 for 554 yards and four touchdowns. So I'll take that away. <laughs> uh, that's pretty, it's pretty awesome.
1: And that was with a too that right? Was with Anai,
2: right. So we're back. Yeah. Oh, um, um, excuse me. But yeah, Trey, so you mentioned it, right? So like you, 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 you threw the word scheme out there. Um, I'll just say like, I, I don't, I, I think it's a com- not completely different because there's shades of everything they were doing earlier in the season, but. Since the switch to MJ Morris, it's been as quarterback friendly as I've seen an offense run in the conference. Fifteen um, percent of Morris's yards came on jet sweeps, um, which I'm lobbying that they should be turned into rushing yards to help the offensive yeah. line out. The, the stats yeah. look a little bit better for the big guys because that's all it is. You know, it's just a, a little yeah. toss to KC so he can, yeah. you know, if he drops it. It's, it's it's not a fumble. It's an incomplete pass. Um, you know, we weren't seeing that. We weren't seeing. Um, you know, Philip charted a motion rate against Clemson of 65%. So that means, you know, pre-snap, somebody was in motion at the start of the snap. So not a shift, not like switching sides and coming completely set, but continually moving at the snap of the ball 65% of the time. And it was I can I can't remember the exact number, but it was between 55 and 65 um, last week against Miami. And it's almost double any of the next highest output of motion state had all year. And that's more of what we saw so so I made a post a, a few months back or a few weeks back um, specifically after the louisville game on on i p s saying that like this is not what we studied in the offseason. we went back and watched a ton of u v a tape from twenty twenty one we watched a lot of syracuse from last year as well i even went back and watched some um some older u v a stuff when uh when Perkins was the quarterback and they played for the a c c title and it was exotic formations, it was getting players lined up in unique spots, which we've seen Concepcion do, we've seen Penix do it some when he's healthy. Um, Heck, we've seen like, you know, Jordan Poole's the best example of that, dude. Like, where mm-hmm. did he come from? He's playing running back.
1: Well, I'm pretty yeah. sure saw not... even pointed out that we even saw Josh Cramtree out there uh, yeah. in so the formation the
2: last time, week. Actually, he was playing a oh, wing. okay. Yeah, he was okay. playing a wing. You. They were motioning in on short motion, and he was in on the touchdown play for I Rob couldn't, say, I couldn't see the number. Yeah, I got you, man. You just got to hit me up, bro. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, you know, and, and think about it, you know, so, like, uh, against Clemson, you get KC in the backfield. That they, they run a tackle over formation. Mm-hmm. Um, they forced Clemson's widest defender, their, their, their guy to set the edge to be their corner who doesn't want to tackle. And their fill player became the safety and Jordan pools leading up on Barrett Carter, number zero, their linebacker. And you get KC one-on-one with the safety in the hole. So they was not doing that stuff earlier in the year. You know, they weren't doing the, uh, you know, you talked, I, I read your stuff, Alec, when you, you wrote about the, the four to a side and they brought KC full in motion and, uh, the little, uh. I don't know what you want to call it whatever you want to call it. It's a you know a pick play basically where he's running the flat route and they roll to it for the touchdown. And then the slant was just isolation, you know, formation into the boundary, single side, get your guy the ball. State was lining up a lot in just some like static two by two, three by one, and letting Armstrong try to be a full field read quarterback. And that's just not who he is, man. He's a he's a you know, I don't think the word system quarterback's a bad term for him. Like
0: yeah. give
2: him the chance to play point guard. That's what he did at UVA in 2021. He had these dudes all over the field, and he just played point guard. He, he threw the ball. He's got a strong arm. He doesn't have a super accurate arm, but he can put the ball on somebody, you know, 20, 20 yards down the field over the middle. He can get it to them quick, and he can run when things break down. And right now, the way State's defense plays, what else do you need? I mean, you don't need much more. I mean, you take take 231 yards so 232 yards and 201 yards in consecutive weeks, beat two of the bigger-name teams in the ACC. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and I yeah. think
1: it's, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't we the only team this year to hold Miami under 20
2: points? That might be right. I can keep yeah. talking. I'll get checked.
1: <laughs> I think that was a stat that I saw. We can yeah, double-check.
2: Yeah, at glance, that looks right. And it's not even close. Uh, well under 20 points. Yeah, six. Yeah. by two touchdowns. Yeah, yeah they had yeah. 20 twice. Oh, sorry, 21, and that was Georgia Tech. And then 28 is their next lowest output. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's good
0: stuff. They frustrated so, so, me, too. They, they got him. I mean, that last touchdown yeah. drive was as much of them being frustrated as anything else. They gave us – they gave State 15 th- – that one guy, I forgot his name. Williams, Twenty yeah. Williams, yeah. Horrible mistakes yeah. on that drive just because he was pissed. Yeah. Yeah, I think we broke yeah, Miami Well, game.
1: I know we yeah. weren't intending yeah. to talk about – we weren't intending to talk about the Miami game, but I did have a, a, a really interesting question. The Miami fan reaction to Tyler Van Dyke is very similar to what – the NC State fan reaction was to Brennan early in the year, they, they they appeared fed up with him. Yeah. Like, so how does, to kind of lead into that question, uh, I mentioned off air to Alec that this next slate of games for Brennan is going to kind of be a redemption arc, if you will, because he, you know, he had those, those issues. The fan base began to turn on him a little bit at the beginning of the year at the booze, which I, wasn't necessarily on board with. I don't know how you guys felt about that. But, uh, you know, they made the switch to MJ, and now he's back. And the way – I think the the telling thing for me was the way Dave embraced him after that big first down run in the second half last week. That was telling to me that Brendan is still very much a part of this team and very much – or was still very much a part of this team at that particular moment, and now it's his team again. And I agree with Alec. I think that that's going to galvanize this team more than the MJ news is going to be a distraction.
0: It, yeah, it's. Yeah. It, oh, go ahead. no, go ahead. You know, we talk about culture, and I think when you when you talk about culture, it sometimes sounds a little like puffy and and fake, but there is something to that there for sure. That this last couple games, uh, and and I think this is a positive. Component going forward is it's a testament to culture and coaching that state was able to take what happened in the Duke game and not spiral out of control because that team was a mess. They dropped six passes in that game and had eleven penalties, Mm -hmm. Uh, and now they've you know they've turned they've turned this whole thing around. Is you know there's there's a culture at work there. You talk about embracing Brennan, that's a part of that, right? I mean he's on the field, right? He's playing hard. You know a lot of times there's places that doesn't happen. You know it's there's there's a testament to coaching there that I think. Deserves to be mentioned. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think culture is overrated when they look at a program from the outside because the only thing they care about is is wins and losses, but it contributes to the wins, and you're watching yeah. it happen right now.
1: Is there a player that's had a more crazy tenure at NC State in one year than Brendan Armstrong has <laughs> so far?
0: <laughs> I don't think so. Well, we'll see
1: how
3: it ends. It
0: could get even crazier. <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, yes. Yeah, like yards this weekend. Yeah, that, that, and to that point, uh, you know, one of the reasons that I, I love football so much, you know, there's always storylines in any sport. You know, you, it's like cinema. You, you, it's like you're writing a movie about all the different stories. You know, you you go from the Bambard kick leading to Chris Dunn being on the team as a direct result of that, and then putting him directly in the same position that Bambard was in in order to win the 2021. Game uh, against Clemson, and then he missed the kick. It was that exact storyline moment. It was like a movie, you know. it's like building that moment, and but then they, obviously, then it wouldn't win the game. And I see a similar parallel with what's going on now because NC State has not won in Winston Salem in 22, 23 years. Have they won this century? I, I don't believe. Day's game. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah,
1: Tw- five yeah. Four
3: of
2: 50 plus yards. Yeah, but to your point. <laughs> I think that's the only time since two thousand two. Is that right? Like Philip Rivers never won there. Jac- uh, Jacoby Brissett's the only recent NC State quarterback to win in Winston Salem.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And he did. We were have much we were, we were one yard away
3: from doing it with Ryan Finley. I think right. That was the
2: Mezi game, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like,
3: yeah. Fumble. I don't know. And then it happened again wow. with th- uh, the the uh, Bam Knight onside kick recovery that should have been a recovery. You know, there's yeah. so many that things. Was- so. Yeah. Yeah. If- if You're Brandon right. Armstrong can come back in the game and get a win in Winston in the House of Horrors, like th- that's that's a storyline right there that that would really yeah. get the fans behind him. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's an interesting uh, thing that I wanted to bring up also related to the the quarterback switch again. Quarterback change to Electric bugaloo, Can we call it that? Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but the yeah. Uh, I like the, that. Um, yeah. But the uh, you know the way that like like you talked about the way that they've been adapting the offense for MJ, do we see them you know adjusting it again for Brennan and is that a positive or is that a negative or, or does an eye keep it the same way?
2: So well, what I think is going to happen so you know Dave and I both talked and, and Dave more than than coach and I obviously because he's more available to the media. Um, they mentioned a lot early in the season that this this thing is just it's it's a work in progress we're still building on it we're, we're we're adding to it and we're gonna keep adding to it and I think that's something we've seen right like you know so like you got your base stuff and it felt like they ran their base stuff like through vmi and then there were a couple like, like a, they, they threw like a little screen and go to kc against UVA so that's like a, a piece you had right there um they added kind of the counter off the jet sweep. Like they, they brought KC in on a jet sweep against Louisville, pitched it to him. He ran back the opposite way as like a counter run. Um, and then they went full blown. Like we're going to run a ton of jet sweeps against Marshall. They added the, the little play action to Trent Penix, So like they, they've added little bits and pieces. I think that's going to continue to go. And the, the thing that, that I noticed a lot these past two weeks specifically is Clemson and Miami really loaded the box on NC state. They didn't think MJ, MJ Morris could beat them with his arm. And I'm not so sure. Like, you know, the conversation has been had all over the place. Like could Brennan Armstrong have beaten Miami and Clemson? I think so, because I don't think the quarterback did anything to like elevate, like the defense won those games, quite frankly, the defense and a couple of big plays by some receivers. What Brennan would have added and what we saw in the second half, specifically against the Miami game is when your quarterbacks a runner, you even those box counts. So if they want to bring somebody extra in, now you have like, you know, the 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 one big run where when Dave congratulated him was a speed option technically, but that took a guy out because they had to account for Allen on the pitch. Um and then he had a, the I am pretty I'm pretty confident that um the play he drew the flag on, Jordan Poole was in alongside him as a lead blocker. So now instead of a handoff with no read option, you get well, it could be a misdirection. The quarterback keep the other way. It could be a true, you know, zone read. It could be, you know, what I'm excited to see personally. I know it's coming, and I know Wake Forest knows it's coming, so I'm not afraid to talk about it. They're going to run jet action with KC, and they're going to run a quarterback counter back the other way. And I don't know what you're going. I, I don't know what you're going to pick because Miami started, you know, arcing their defensive end out to the jet sweep. That like every single player on the left side, if the jet was being run to the defense's left, if you were to the left of the center, you were gone. Now you mm-hmm. can't do that. Which, which you know, excites me.
1: I've seen some people say that Dave is is excited to have Brennan in the run game because it reminds him of Jordan Lynch.
2: I like it. That's a great, yeah. great yeah. cut. Yeah, the Max legend. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I, I know we need to we need to move on to uh, to our our other big topic of the day, uh, a topic that Alec knows Alex. I should say. There, I did it. I'm the one that did it. Dang it. Um, that that that's Alex. <laughs> That Alex knows well, and that is the the offensive line, uh, and and a few things that I think we were going to uh, to talk about here tonight. I guess the first question I'll ask is, you know, just your overall thoughts on the offensive line through the uh, through the first uh, nine games of the season.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a complicated subject with this team. Quite honestly, um, they started off. I, I, you know, let me say it this way: I think everything good about the offensive line has been tied to dylan mcmahon um there's a direct correlation with pressures and sacks and you know tackles for loss and dylan mcmahon playing and dylan mcmahon not playing so the louisville game stands out the most to me there are multiple run-throughs like just straight up through the a gap because cooper was playing center he you know he's a guard he's in the you know is he in this i think he's a second year in the program, only he's a young player, regardless, either second or third year in the program. And, you know, when you're playing center, you got to be the quarterback of the offense line. So you got to call the protection. You got to set the slide. You got to ID, you know, I think state ID is the mic and they, you know, if, if his combo is called, then everybody else's combo is called off that. So if he's wrong, then everybody else is wrong. It can be a disaster. And we saw that. And when McMahon came back, it took a while because, you know, it's a group, right? They have to all be communicating and working together. But these past two weeks, man, I've, I honestly, I have been impressed there. Clemson, um, you, you know, we, Philip and I were lucky to have the the coaches shot of of the Clemson game. So we were able to watch state's offense from the, the, the good camera angles, so to speak, there were a lot, a lot of holes created by the offense line that were missed by state's running. And um, there are multiple instances where they were like one, one guy away and it was the running back's guy where you're asking him to break a tackle or, you know, make somebody miss and, and go get 10 or 15 more. In one instance, Michael Allen had a one-on-one that probably would have been a touchdown if he could have made a guy miss, um, like a big touchdown. And Dave talked about that before the Miami game. and I think that's a big reason why we saw an increase of carries for Armstrong, because we know he can run through some guys. And then especially our guy, Kendrick Raphael. Who, he's got some juice, man. He he can he yeah. can he can he can scoot. Yeah, he and, uh, Yeah, and you know most impressively for me, and and something that I think really stands out, uh Miami, like I think they were sixth in the country in sacks, and State gave up two. One of them was to a defensive back um, on a disguised pressure that on uh, Morris fumbled, Um, and we've watched it a bunch of times. You could blame Shakuris Peak, but man, they it was. Pretty darn good design. The defensive end, uh, Bale, who's the I think it's Bale, I think Bain, um, who's got twelve. Yeah, he's sacks the one. Season.
1: Yeah, he's the one that they talked about coming in, right? The he's really good one. yeah, he's a true freshman, yeah. at
2: twelve sacks, and you know he stayed wide, and peak stayed on him, and then there's nobody off the edge to to help him. And in a perfect world, he would have bumped out to it, but I mean that's a hard hard thing to ask. And the second sack was on MJ. They, they brought four to a side where there was only three, and it was in the red zone and. He had Juice Green on a little wheel route to the back right corner and he just he he might not have had the the throw, but you gotta throw it throw it throw it through the goalpost is what we used to tell quarterbacks. Um hmm. so man, I, I tell you, I, I've been pleased. Uh and you know, quite frankly, it should get easier. Um Wake Forest is fine. Virginia Tech, I would say, is above average as a defense. And UNC, we all know that you could do whatever you want to UNC's defense, especially late in the season, they just completely cripple. Hmm. So
1: Campbell in the first quarter can do whatever they wanted that's kidding, that
2: was awesome man. I, I really enjoyed watching that um, But you know I, I think I'm excited to see like I there's growth and I think you know somebody asked me the other day like what do I think of what coach 2 J's done and I think a lot of it can be attributed to him like they've just steadily improved like they're not going to win the Jim Moore award they're not going to be the best offensive line in the country but I'd say you know they're I don't know. What would you say, top eight or seven of the ACC, like right in that range? Which, with the defense you got, is perfectly fine. It'll, it'll make it work.
0: Yeah, yeah. We had a. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I just want to talk a little more about, about pass blocking specifically. So you mentioned um, the second sack, I believe that Morris took it. You know, one thing I, I and maybe I misread some of this, but one thing I liked about him last year is he seemed like a pretty comfortable quarterback just for how young he was. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's been that way the last couple games. Um, I know he's a little banged up, but he's taken a fair amount of hits. So I was curious, how much of that do you put on him for for either just like you know, re, you know, not getting rid of the ball when there's a blitz versus yeah. pass protection as a whole.
2: So it's that you know, it's tough, right? Because as an offensive line, and an offensive line, men, you are like program that everything's your fault like you don't want anything to be on the quarterback shoulders unnecessarily like you're cool like if you don't talk about the offensive line it's a good game right and then if, yeah. if the offensive line is talked about it's typically never like oh man they like you'd have to run for 350 yards for for you know fans to be like oh they, they got it going on but you know there's a decent amount of stuff that does fall on the shoulders of the quarterback right now I'm pulling it up right now um well I see it so um it's tough. So Phillip has charted that, that Morris took a sack on 38 and percent of pressures. So what that means is, you know, call it four out of every 10 times he was blitzed. He was sacked, um, pressured, I should say. So not necessarily blitz, but pressured. He was sacked. Um, if we go back historically, um, Armstrong earlier in the year was at 18 and percent, which is pretty good. Um Ben Finley last year fifteen percent. Um MJ Morris two years ago, it was uh sorry, let's get that one. Uh, Devin Leary was at nineteen and a half percent. And a lot of that what that is is you know, you have a hot route, you have a plan, right? So if you, you know, I know the the protection is a is a slide to the right, and on the left hand side I got you know the left guard, the left tackle, and the running back. So if I see four come from here, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta get rid of the football because I'm, I'm in trouble. And that's where you see, you know, the guys make their money in the NFL. Like that's what, you know, like it's so cliche, but like Brady, like he's he was just smarter than everybody else. Peyton Manning, like that's the thing. Like these guys aren't, you know, giant armed guys. Like Joe Burrow right now, man. Like he's just he he liked getting an empty at LSU because he knew that if they sent more than six, he knew exactly where to put the football and he was going to cook them. So team stopped doing it. They stopped rushing and they started dropping out. And that's what, heck, that's actually what state did to Van Dyke. Van Dyke has a pretty good plan versus pressure for Miami. And they said, screw that dude. We're not going to let you do that. We're going to back up and make you think. And um, you know, so there's a piece to that um, that I do think probably improves um, with Armstrong back there. He's just more willing to run and sometimes to a fall, right? Like that, that was a critique of his early that I a hundred percent agree with. Like, he would maybe come off some stuff too quickly for the sake of running, but I would rather have that in a five yard gain than every third time be a sack. You know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was uh, something that uh, Tony Gibson probably learned from playing Miami at the last time. No that doubt. He, he was overly aggressive <laughs> and, and, you know, learned not to do that uh, no this doubt. time. Um, but so, you know, talking about pass protection, One of the things that everyone was looking forward to with getting Robert and I was the explosives, right? Everybody wants to see the ball chucked down, down field, but you need time to be created. Um, So is it one of those situations where it's, it's wholly on the offensive line to create that amount of time in the pocket? Is it... Part lay on the receivers to create separation earlier or the quarterback. Like, what's the balance there in terms of if, you, if the goal is 20 to 25 plus yards down the field in the interim? So, a pass. Yes,
2: is the answer. The answer is yes. <laughs> oh, 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 right. So, think um, one that really stands out, right? So, uh, State was backed up against Clemson opposite of the scoreboard and they ran a a seven man protection and Reed Mitchell was the tight end on the left-hand side. and He completely whiffed and gave up a sack and Raphael was kind of standing there looking like it was, there was nothing going on. Well, the design on that play on the right-hand side had a deep post. And from the left-hand side, there was a a crosser and a dig underneath it at about 17 yards. And it looked like he would have had a chance to, to maybe push the ball down the field if that was picked up. Um, on the other end of it, uh, this past week, Miami actually ended up dropping out of a pressure. They showed five and ended up playing a cover one with like a double team to the boundary receiver. It was Julian Gray. It was the play that MJ scrambled up the right sideline, and it looked like a targeting call. They didn't call it, which was blew my mind. But um, there's a wide shot of it. State's running uh, what we refer to as a shock concept, which is a outside so three three man um, to the field uh, Lesane was the widest guy. He ran a, a curl at about, you know, six, seven yards. KC was in the slot and ran a slot fade. So he, you know, pressed vertically for 12 and then worked out towards the sideline and vertical. And he wins, like he wins by a lot. And then Rooks is on the inside and runs like a, a 12 yard out basically to kind of get open in space. And there's time to throw it. He just doesn't turn it loose. You know, I and I don't know why, like, it, you know, it's hard to sometimes speculate. Like, what did he see? You know, did he think there was a stumble? Like, what was it? So it, you know, to answer your question, man, like it can be it can be anything. Like your quarterback's gotta be willing to, to be a gunslinger. And I think MJ got a little gun shy there late. We know Armstrong's not gun shy sometimes to a fault, so <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna find out. Um but then you gotta protect long enough. You do and a lot of coordinators, most well, let me say this, good coordinators plan shot plays protection first. Because that's that's the deal, right? Like you have yeah. to you have to protect it. So if you're gonna if you're gonna cut a you know a deep post to Anthony Smith sure as heck better know that you can sit back there for three seconds and give them a chance to set something up and get deep.
1: We actually have a, a question this week. We're making it to the big time here. We got a question from, <laughs> uh, from Twitter. Uh, Jonathan Bass at WolfpackJV11 on Twitter asks, how does Alex feel in regards to offensive line recruiting? I feel you should go get guys from lower levels who are more physically developed. Not high school guys that need development. Just curious about his position.
2: So I'm going to be interested in what you guys think too, because I've spent some time thinking about this. Because it's with the with the portal. This is this is true for every position, I mm-hmm. think. And you know, offensive line becomes a hotbed. Those guys are getting expensive, by the way. Like,
0: yeah, some of these
2: some of the nil money that's reported that that Miami threw at their center Matt Lee and we know Colorado threw some stuff out of some guys and that didn't work out for them, but you know, like it's, it's <laughs> yeah. tough. like, you know, if you want the best left tackle recruit, you know, less left, left tackle transfer in the country, you're going to have to fork up like a half million bucks, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, I think you got to have a balance between the two, right? So state right now is almost exclusively homegrown on their offensive line um, with from right to left right now, it's peak McKay McMahon, Cooper slash Carter and then Belton. Um, I guess Belton's a little bit of kind of a JUCO product, but that's that's tough to to separate, but we can. Um and it's fine. And you know, they hope to have had Jeremillo, the transfer guard from uh Oregon, who I think would have played a lot for state this year. Um but I'm biased, man. You know, coming from the FCS level, we had some really good players that I played with. I I, I played with Um, our left, our starting left tackle is, was the fourth overall pick in the Canadian football league and is still playing. He graduated in 2015. Like he could have played at NC state. Um, our right tackle was my good friend, Nick Richard, whose dad's name is on the stadium at NC state, Jim Richard. Um, I think they give the blocking trophy for him. No clue how he doesn't end up at NC state as a recruit. First off, he's six foot five, had a chance to play with the Titans for a little bit. Like, how is he not, (laughs) how's he not there? Um, (laughs) the guy I backed up our center had a cup of coffee with the Detroit lions. Like these guys exist and we were just one school and you know, we played, you know, not those guys weren't all CAA players all the time. Like they, some of them were a first team player. Some of them were an audible mention player. And in this day and age, you just gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you know, comb through it and work hard a little bit and go find some of those guys. Cause they can totally contribute. So, you know, like, so for example, for state, like, if you can bring Belton back, you feel really good about your tackles. You got Belton and Jacari's Peak's been good, and he's only going to get better. He's super talented. You probably don't feel great about your guards. So why don't you go see, like, hey, what's going on at, I don't know, uh, Elon or I don't know, you throw something out, Delaware? Like, there's probably a six, two, three hundred 300 pounder. Really number two in the FCS right now. Yeah, go Paladins. We can find somebody. And think about, yeah. you know, Zavala. One of the best line mm-hmm. we've had in the past few years is a d two transfer or fair state, right
3: I think so I mean fair is- state yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah, I think it goes to you know one of the things that uh, Dave and the staff is really <coughs> well known for in terms of the reputation is talent evaluation, finding those diamonds in the rough because if you listen to chatter from around other state other fan bases around the country, everybody says we just got to go to the portal and get, a, get get some offensive linemen and then our offense is going to be okay. So like the the priority for people in the portal is quarterback, then offensive linemen, and then maybe a tie between defensive linemen and receiver. So everybody is looking for offensive linemen in the portal. It's, it's one of the hottest commodities. And I think fan bases often think that they're just growing on trees and we're just going to be able to get one and, and plug and play. So like you're saying, Finding some of these guys that might have been overlooked by some of the more "quote unquote" elite programs, uh, we can put those guys in, in the program and, and and turn them around.
0: Yeah, you know, what I see state trying to do a little bit is, um, he's talking about you know the, the the portal. I think when you're getting guys into the portal that are you know more developed, I think they're more of a sure bet. Those are the guys that are going to get expensive. I think what I see state trying to do is 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 lean on its development program a little bit and get some of these guys that that are you know camp kids that are coming in with with really impressive frames and they move well but they only weigh like two hundred fifty pounds and you 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 lean on that on that development. Now, I feel like offensive line is probably a little bit of a crapshoot compared to most positions when it comes to development. Yeah. Um. So you know what that ends up being in the end, I, I have no idea. But I think the answer is it depends on who you are. You know, Alabama can get anybody they want from the portal pretty much. You know, they I mean we were we were in it with them for uh, Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt. I have no idea if he ended up being good, but that was that was over quickly. Um so yeah, it depends on New York. I think that's the right approach for, for NC State is because I don't think we're gonna be able to, you know, pay for the, the top of the line offensive linemen in the portal, and there's gonna be plenty of them. You know, maybe you pick up some guys along the way. I think it is a, a combination, but I think leaning on the development program, which has proven to be good is, is the key long-term. Great. Um, and I'll tell
2: we'll you, see what I'll tell you what I really like too. So it, it's something that kind of, well, not kind of, I think definitely goes, you know, under the radar very often is different offensive line coaches and different offensive coordinators want to run different schemes and different body types work better for different schemes. So mm-hmm. States had John Garrison as their offensive line coach for the last Four, five years, four years, I think, before uh, we're bringing in 2J. So he's recruiting his, it, It's you know, if you, and if you look, it's more of like a shorter kind of stockier athletic body type because they wanted to run more zone stuff. night doesn't want to run as much zone stuff, and they're recruiting and targeting really big dudes. So committed for State right now is Robbie Martin. He's 6'4", 285. So to your point, that's a frame. You can put 40 pounds on that. You can. Trent Mitchell, 6'6", 285. Like you can't, he can be six six three three fifteen in a, in, a, wow. in a in a you know in eight months because you just feed him a ton and teach him how to bench <laughs> break you, you got it, and then Tyler West is six five two seventy five. So like that's what that like you can tell that they're moving towards a let's go get some big dudes and be physical forward versus kind of. You know like Garrett Bradbury, which works too, by the way. Like the, yeah. the Garrett Bradbury type, my brother was one dude. He's you know Harrison's six three. He was two eighty five, graduating high school, but he could run, and, and that's yeah. why they wanted him. He could he could reach block people, and, and that's all good and well. But that's not what state really wants to do right now.
1: Well, I think I read something today. I don't think it was more than a PWO, but there was a lineman that committed to state today. Correct?
2: Um, it was Wednesday. You're right. So it was a PWO, and and it got posted, and I, I. I looked at his physicals. I was like, you know what? That's that's the kind of walk on you want. Like uh, McCabe right now for states a walk on, but he's gotten snaps. So like, if you can find somebody that, in – heck, dude, if you can find somebody that in four years you can, they can be the personal protector on punt team as your, you know, as a walk on offensive lineman. That's a win.
0: So you mentioned well, we talked about pass protection. Um, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on on run blocking because this is, I think, maybe one of the most misunderstood components of football for people, and uh, I, I know I've messed up some of this along the way, too, is, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into a successful run play. And I think when people see a bad run play, they're like, it's badly blocked, just kind of by default. So what's kind of been your evaluation of, of State as a run blocking unit?
2: So I would, you know, especially recently, I what I've told people is, I think, you Know and I'm harder on offensive lines than most folks are. Like, I, I would be the first to say these guys are not doing a good job. Like, earlier in the year, I was all like, I was like, they this is like Derek Eason's not playing well, like Cooper's not playing well at center. Like, it was there was comedy barriers all over the place. Recently, I've seen it be more of a problem with the backs, and, and I think that was confirmed to me when KC when started playing running back. And our best running backs now our true freshman wide receiver that weighs 170 pounds. Like, you know, that, that's nice. and and Brendan Armstrong is still the team's leading rusher. Like, he, he led the
1: team he, in rushing last week, and he played had, like 12 snaps. Yeah, no, he had eight <laughs> carries. Like, I mean, it's
2: unbelievable, man. So, you know, and and I, I see, you know, a great example I, I can think of, and I'll I do my best to describe it is, um, State was running a, an outside zone or a wide zone play that Casey was in um, running it, and on that play, it's it's run to it was run to the left, and the way I've always seen it taught, and the way I'm pretty confident it's being taught at NC State as well, is the the tackle is trying to reach the defensive end. So by re, you know he's trying to gain his outside shoulder, get his hat outside of him, so it can be it can be a sweep. You know, think of it like middle school football: get your fastest guy the ball, run to the sideline, turn up field, and go, and reach everybody. You know, in college football you can't do that because defensive ends are really freaking good, and they don't let you reach them. So the design of of the outside zone is when you don't reach him, you take your inside arm and you throw him out. And then you create a lane right underneath you that you can run. And State had that. Um, And and Carter was the left guard. He was reaching as well. He did the same thing and and threw the guy out. Casey ended up receiving the handoff. He took about a step to the left and then came all the way back to the right. And it was like a gain of four. It was kind of an impressive run, actually. He made a couple guys miss, had some shake in him. But when you watch it back, you're thinking – That's a thirty five yard gain if he just runs it to the way it's supposed to be coached. So I I think that right now State's got some some stuff going on. Now, on the flip side of that, Rafael's touchdown run is about as good as you could run inside zone. You know, backs are coached the three B's for inside zone. You either want to bang it, you want to bend it, or you want to bounce it. So if you can, you know, the the you know, plan A would be to bang it, you know, stick it right in the A gap, ride the wave, let it rip. The second thing you'd want to do is bend it back, which is what Raphael ends up doing, right? It's a handoff to the right side. He bends it all the way back behind Penix's block and then, you know, makes something happen. That's beautiful. And, you know, I I am excited and hopeful that State can, you know, maybe produce some more runs like that going forward.
0: Then I had one more really important question for you. Um, So I understand that you were on the field in 2013, uh, when state played Richmond. So, end of that game. I was game.
1: just going to ask a similar question. Go ahead and ask game. yours first. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Pass interference call, good call or bad call? Pass interference in the end zone that set up the field goal. <laughs> <ball>. Fine. <laughs> it was
2: fine. At Nick Sadie, I sometimes wake up like sad about Nick Sadie. Like, he, he nailed the case. So, it's funny. What screwed us, and by us in this sentence, I'm going to be Richmond here, is we got the ball back. With, like, I, th- I think there was about two and a half minutes left, and state had two timeouts. And on first down, we had an 11 yard gain, which was the worst thing that could have happened to us because it was an immediate first down. And then we, you know, you don't, it's not three and out, but we, they get three stops, use two timeouts, get the ball back with, you know, 50 seconds a minute, whatever it was. If we gain nine and make state burn a timeout right there, I think we win the game. It was brutal. <laughs> For, yeah. was, that was surreal, man, because you know, I've been going to games forever. Um, since I I think my the first time I started going to games was in nineteen ninety-seven. I was three. And um I I've seen it all like you know, I pretended to be Tory Holt in my living room, like Philip Rivers is my favorite football player of all time, like Nate Irving, suplexing, like yeah, I could, yeah. I
0: could
2: pull it all out. And then you walk out of the visitors locker room, you stand on the visitor's sideline and people are booing you. It's like, man, well, this is this is weird. Yeah,
1: You kind of answered my next question, but I've always wanted to ask somebody this. And now that we've got somebody who's played at the FCS level, this, I have the chance to ask this question is what is it like as an FCS player, or an FCS team walking into an FBS stadium like that? I know Richmond's played Virginia and Virginia tech yeah. as well uh, recently. So what is that experience like?
2: It's, it's different. It, um, so, the, the, what I tell people is that the, the two loudest stadiums I played in, uh, we played Georgia State in the Georgia Dome my freshman year, and there was maybe seven hundred people there. Like it was, there was nobody there, but it was incredibly loud just because of the dome effect, like all the noise. They right. had their band, and it was just, it was insane. And then Carter Finley, and that place, dude, that place is different. Like the proximity to the fans on the sideline, and especially now. I mean, it, it was less so then, but. I'd be really interested to stand on the field now with the scoreboard and the sound system and just the size of the scoreboard. Like all the sound just has to bounce back to the field. I mean, it's insane in there, man. It's sick. But yeah, our home stadium, Robin stadium was, I think that, you know, 5,500 people at max capacity and that happened when we played JMU, you know? So once, yeah. once every two years, we, yeah. we call it the student section, and we, you know, for like eight and three, like we're the students, like they're not here. Nobody wants to watch play yeah. ball. Yeah, like basketball is starting up soon. Let's let's we'll see when that happens, right?
1: Well, I I had a couple of, of unrelated, but I appreciate the answer to that question. I've always I've always been curious about that, but uh, uh, a couple of rapid fire questions I wanted to get to before we get to our question of the day. The first one. Uh, is is one that I think uh is somebody who deserves this recognition, and that's Peyton Wilson. Uh, is Peyton Wilson an All American? Do we think do we think he makes an All American this year?
2: Dude, I haven't watched enough. I, I want to know what you guys think about this. I, I have not watched enough nationally to say it. I think Doran said the same thing. I might just be mimicking him, him here. But mm-hmm. like, there's not a better defensive player in the conference. That's for sure. i was and gonna say you might be the
1: best linebacker in the whole
3: country.
2: I, that I I you'd be hard-pressed to find another one.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah if he doesn't win the Buckus Award this year, then it'll be a, a sham. Like, I don't understand how you could do more from the middle linebacker no. position than, than what he's doing.
2: No. Tackles, pressures, picks, pass deflection. Like, he could, you could, he could play strong safety and be the best strong safety in the ACC. He could probably play, like, a 3-4 defensive end, like an edge rusher, and have double-digit sacks. He's unbelievable, man. He's a freak. Yeah.
1: And then and then the other rapid fire question I wanted to ask real fast is how much fun do we think tailgating with Dave Doran would be?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Dave's awesome in those situations. He said he Apparently, was in the parking lot till yeah. like two in the morning. Yeah, right.
1: exactly. He shows up on my favorite, my favorite thing about his interview last week when he, when he broke the record was he goes on the ACC network set. He's got a water bottle in his hand and he says, this may or may not be water.
3: That's just, that's just classic. On the other hand. (laughs) He's he's
2: awesome. He's, you know, so when my brother was getting recruited, Dave came to our house and, and, you know, did an in-home visit and we've gotten to spend some time with him. And then when I was coaching high school, he'd come, come by. He's the most real like famous person. I know football coach famous, but like a lot of those football coaches are as like as fake as it gets. Like they turn it on and then it's like, Oh, you're actually just a jerk. And Dave like walks in your house, like puts his feet on the ottoman. He's hanging out. Like just <laughs> doesn't really want to talk about football. He's like, you know what? You know, what, 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 what music are you listening to, man? You know, stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. You've been in any concerts lately. He, he goes like, I, I'm pretty sure he like wears a real low hat, but he's a, you know, He's at the what are they call used to be Walnut Creek, whatever it is now Verizon Amphitheater. He's out there. He's hanging out, pumping Merle in the parking lot.
1: <laughs> well, that, that actually reminds me. Uh, Dave has told this story before, actually, and and I got to experience it because I was at the game. But when Dave was recruiting Peyton Wilson, uh, he and Dave Huxtable drove to Hillsborough to Orange High School to uh, mm-hmm. to see him play. And the coach of the other team that was blue uh, showed up in his helicopter and Lance's yep. helicopter in the baseball field. And Dave and Dave just show up in, in Boston. I think it was, was it was it Hank Williams that they were Boston yep. as they show up in the yeah. parking lot. And that's yeah, one of my favorite up. stories. And I just because I, I remember that I was there and there's there's Dave and Dave on the sidelines just watching Peyton Wilson. Peyton Wilson had himself maybe the best game of his career that night in high school anyway. Uh, but that's one of my all-time favorite stories. And I think that is exactly the point you're making there about Dave is he he, he feels more down to earth than a lot of the other football coaches.
0: Just a dude, man. Just a dude.
2: Yeah. yeah. Just
1: a
0: dude. <laughs> Remember the, uh, the high school coach told him, thank you for not making me find a place to, or the principal, I think it was. Yeah. Find a place to land a helicopter and if that <laughs> isn't the nc state unc dynamic in a nutshell fly this big-ass helicopter in here and make us think about Hold everything up. i mean that's that's one of my
1: favorite stories just because you know i heard him tell it and i was like i can 100 percent verify it because i was working that game that week for high school ot so i so i i knew exactly what he said But <laughs> yeah.
2: but uh His but, personality is the whole reason that you can like Speculate with confidence that he's not going to do this for for much longer. Like, why mm-hmm. he doesn't want to? Like, you can tell. Like, he's he loves it, but there's no doubt he would just rather live on the lake, catch the mm-hmm. fish, have a have a backyard fire, and, yeah, you know, hang out. I
1: mean, we talked
2: we talked last
1: week when he tied the record that you know we all believe, and I, I'm sure you probably agree that you know this is his last stop, right? Oh yeah, yeah, he's yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. yeah. And, yeah honestly, so, it, I mean, it, I
2: don't I don't like speculating on it, but it it wouldn't surprise me if it's this year. I mean, it, it, there's a lot to it. Like his son's going to be a senior at Cardinal Gibbons. Like he wants to watch him play ball. He's got I you, you know he loves Tony Gibson and would be you know through the moon to
1: yeah. Well, just, that was actually the rapid fire question that I skipped on because uh, we're we're running low on time here, but. Uh, obviously Tony Gibson's name came up in the Athletic this week as a candidate for the uh for the USC defensive coordinator job. I don't see that happening. I don't think he would. He's he's an East Coast guy through and through. But I, without speculating, obviously, what do we feel like Tony Gibson's future at NC State is going forward? Because people are figuring out our defense. are figuring out how good our defense is.
0: Yeah, I don't know. He knows coaching carousel, right? It's, there's it's, no yeah, way. There's no way it's LA though. Like, there's there's different
2: levels yeah. of East Coast, right? Like, like Charlotte East, Coast, like like I could go live in. I don't know if I'd love to, but I could I could live on the West Coast. I could I could make it work. But he's from West Virginia. Like, he mm-hmm. has a dip in his mouth at all times. Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't, think, I don't yeah. think he could. Yeah, he's not going to play.
3: Now. He's not going to yeah. play in, in in LA. I mean, the state's already yeah. lost one coordinator. You know, Norm Chow left to USC. Way back when, uh, you know, I, I don't see uh, Tony Gibson being yeah. the best fit there, but he, he's, well, and, not and gonna, one, he's not not going to stay here forever.
1: Yeah, and that one feels like more of a high-pressure situation at USC uh, than it would be at, at NC State, and I think that's part yeah. of the reason why Tony Gibson thrives at NC State is because it's, I don't want to say low-risk, but, but more of a low-pressure uh, situation in terms and, of his... And it's his, one
3: of those things where, you know, on offense... Dave's gone through a few offensive coordinators, and he, it always seems like he has his finger on the pulse of what, what's happening on offense. But for Tony Gibson's defense, he just lets him cook. And it's clear mm-hmm. that he has full, 100% trust in Tony. And he, he's he's like, you do, your, you do you. So, you know, to have that level of confidence from your head coach, you might not get that somewhere else. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, we got to get to our random question of the day. Can, can we I crossed... can I ask
3: one one more offensive line question? Uh, yeah, go I, for it. I have to talk I'm about playing. one thing that happened in the last game is Alex' absolute favorite play in all of football, and that is the wildcat. So we had a we had a wildcat play in the last play in the last <laughs> game. So is there anything different that happens on offensive line when you have a direct snap situation? Mm, I don't think so um it's it's an extra word you got to hear in the huddle and it kind of
2: pisses you off it's like can you just stop talking. Let's just go play ball. Like, you know, they, they throw in like some, they're like, oh, we're, we're running. To, you know, originally we used to be like, oh, we're in cat 11. It's like, that doesn't, I don't
1: care.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they pass the black, like, what do you want me to do? Just tell me what to do. We're going to go do it.
1: Yeah. Uh, when, I, when I saw them run that play, I could hear Alex screaming from Carter Finley. And I, I don't even live in North Carolina.
0: So it's like, I couldn't even say anything about
2: it. It, was, yeah. it would only be fun. It would only be fun if they let 11 catch the snap. Let, let Peyton Wilson. There you watch. go. Yeah. Like up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. well we got to get to our random question of the day because we've crossed over the one hour mark and and as we've reaching we're reaching the holiday season here uh the question of the day is when is it appropriate to start listening to christmas music
2: it's never appropriate to start listening to christmas
3: music <laughs> I, I can't stand it, it that's, I, a, that's a great answer. I, I don't want i
2: don't want to listen to it it's not there's it's I want to listen to, like, stuff I like.
3: <laughs> I want to listen to that. <laughs> like,
2: if Tyler Childers releases a Christmas album, I, I might I might bump it, but only for, like, five yeah. minutes. And I'll go back to his other stuff that I like more.
3: Yeah. Christmas music is the kind of thing that's played at you and not really by your <laughs> own choice. Um, so it, it depends if you're Mariah Carey. So, like, her, she has that, that one big famous Christmas song. And I think she makes... Her years' worth of money in like a few months around the holiday season, and she posted a video of that song at midnight, the night of Halloween. So like just no, so November first, twelve o'clock on the dot on uh, online, she posted a video of that song saying it's time, and that's way too early. Like uh... hashtag scheduled tweet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like the Thanksgiving is probably like the one of the, the biggest holidays in my house be like, we really, really look forward to Thanksgiving dinner. And like, we, we kind of go all out for it and put mm-hmm. all the mixings and everything. So like, I, my kids don't like that. Thanksgiving just gets erased as soon as the calendar turns, you know, into fall and all of a sudden all the Christmas stuff starts getting out. And, um, it's, you know, I don't know, I, I feel like no earlier. Than Thanksgiving, so I'll give you Black Friday. Maybe maybe just, but you know, I think the calendar needs to be December when you can start talking about Christmas.
0: I think uh, Christmas is actually my favorite holiday, but I don't like Christmas music. I think um, that when when I realized I hated Christmas music was uh, one day in November when I was in Dick's Sporting Goods shopping for fishing crap, and I heard (laughs) I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. (laughs) like number six and it was like the most god-awful annoying song i think i've ever heard in my life and i was like hey, you know this stuff kind of sucks and um i had a i had a uh an ex-girlfriend who was really into christmas like really into christmas and uh she would play this shit from like september and it was like it's all it's like all it's, it's, it's like it's extra annoying stuff and i'm like you know what? this holiday like it's a great time of year but like can we listen to yeah. like Something that's awesome. You know, this is yeah. just, I, mean, I get it. There are bells and they're silver and, and there are some reindeer out there. You know.
1: So uh, for me, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday since we're saying our favorite holidays, I guess. Um, but so, so the piggyback off of that, I actually would agree with Asad that the earliest you play Christmas music is Black Friday. And I have people that start playing, friends of mine who, who start playing Christmas music on November 1st. And, and I'm like, no, did you forget that Thanksgiving exists? Like, where's the Alice's <laughs> restaurant on loop? Like, come on. <laughs> but uh, I, I think Black Friday is, is when is when you should start playing Christmas music. Um, but it's not when State and UNC should play football. I'll go ahead and say that.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. It's, it, you know, I don't know. Uh, Alex, what is your, your take on uh, our question from last week when uh it was is Die Hard a christmas movie
1: man you're really going in on this one <laughs> it's <gotta> be, right? <laughs> I, I i came now? with the
3: receipts <laughs> did you say yes At, yeah absolutely i said yeah yes. I, I
2: mean i think so right yeah sure
3: so Whoa. alec had a point that it can't be a christmas movie simply because it wasn't released during the christmas season okay and uh two and i and i looked it up there was two very famous christmas movies that were released in the summer one is Gremlins, great Christmas movie. The
1: Christmas and
3: movie? Christmas movie? It's, Gremlins? It's oh. absolutely a Christmas movie. Uh, <laughs> go back and watch.
0: It. <laughs> never seen it.
3: I mean, there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, there's a, there's a, there's some some darkness around why it's a Christmas movie, I and mean, it's, it's so anyway it's a dark comedy anyway. But Miracle on 34th
0: Street. this was to the Time.
1: Yeah, I was saying either Miracle Wait. on 34th or It's a Wonderful Life,
0: like. Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street came out in the in the summertime. Yeah, it's wild. Really? Why? So I do have
2: <laughs> I have the opposite take on Christmas movies as I do Christmas music. I we Elf. We're watching Elf. We're watching Home Alone. Mm-hmm. We're watching Jingle All the Way, which one? Which is awful, but is awesome at the same <laughs> time. Like, it's, you it's, know, it's, like so, it's so bad that it's good. Yeah, it's, that's right. Worst like,
1: Christmas movie I've ever seen: Christmas with the Cranks. I hate
2: it. My wife bought it on Amazon one day. I'm like, wife I, bought it. It. Oh, I don't understand it's it. it. It's my favorite movie. I'm oh, like, I'm not watching more than 10
0: the one, right? I hate yeah. it. Oh, yeah, that's awful.
2: Christmas vacation. You got to watch that. Like, there's so many good ones. Like, oh, just, the Christmas with the cranks is the pick. No way. What are we doing? Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the LotCast. State heads to the House of Horrors, known as whatever the heck bank is sponsoring Wake Forest Stadium now field. Um, <laughs> but we will head there on Saturday, uh, and we'll have a recap We'll think of that a little bit next week. Hopefully, we won't have any more quarterback news to talk about. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll be back with another episode of the LotCast next week. For Alec, for Assad, for Alex, this is Trey signing off. Go Pack, everybody.
2: Pack. Go Pack.